Tilofa Lava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Foon. Coming up... There are going to be others in positions that are advising the government um, that also may feel uncomfortable and they probably need to consider whether they want to carry on. The ACT Party wants other public advisers to get on board or resign after prominent health leader Sir Colin Tukwitonga stepped down from his advisory role citing no confidence in the New Zealand government. Also, some Pacific nations have changed their stance after the United Nations overwhelmingly voted in favour of a resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. And later... We just went in just for fun, just to enjoy the competition and we just happened to make it to the finals. A Cook Islands and Fiji team take part in a secondary school athletics championships in New Zealand. Following the resignation of Sir Colin Tukuitonga from his advisory roles, the ACT Party wants others to follow suit. ACT Party List MP and Health Spokesperson Todd Stevenson says public advisers in high-paid positions should get with the programme or get out. But Sir Colin Tukuitonga says the ACT Party is not in a position to dictate whether individuals should resign from their positions, considering his was a volunteer role not a paid public sector position. I spoke with Todd Stevenson about his comments. I mean, he was a great example of someone who's actually shown some leadership. He doesn't think he can carry out uh, this government's agenda, which I said is actually to to target people on their needs and not on race. And, and he said, I, I can't do that, so I'm going to step down. I think he's actually shown leadership. Um, but I think, you know, there are going to be others uh, in positions uh, that are advising the government um, that also may feel uncomfortable and they probably need to consider whether they want to carry on. Like Sir Colin, I think he said to you, I don't want to work with these people, so he made his position very clear. He replied to your statement saying he doesn't think that ACT appreciates that members of the Pacific Senate are actually volunteers and these were unpaid roles. What's your response to that? I think that uh, he made his position very clear about him. He, you know, he's not able to support the agenda of this government and I wish him well. I know he's got some other uh, roles in the public health space so I know he'll still be providing advice from the, from the sidelines. Did you know that the Pacific Senate positions were volunteer roles? Look it's a newly created organisation. Um, I know that uh, part of its mandate is actually to provide advice to Tafata Aura which again uh, as you'll be aware uh, is not um, an agency this government is going to continue with. So uh, Look, I think, uh, you know, he's made his position very clear. But did you think these were paid roles? I, I certainly, uh, there must be certainly, it's a, it's a government entity that was created under the last government, so uh, it must be funded in some respect. Right. But the members themselves don't get paid for their time? Right. So you're talking about the advisory members? Yes. I'm not aware of the arrangements that they had with the, with the government or the department. Some Pacific nations have changed their stance after the United Nations overwhelmingly voted in favour of a resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in war-torn Gaza. Tuesday's resolution passed with 153 countries voting in favour, 23 abstaining and 10 countries voting against, including Israel and the United States. Papua New Guinea and Nauru maintains a no vote, but Fiji and Australia have changed position and voted yes alongside Samoa and New Zealand.
Palau, Tonga and Marshall Islands abstain from voting. While the resolution is non-binding, it serves as an indicator of global opinion. The vote comes as international pressure builds on Israel to end its months-long assault on Gaza, where more than 18,000 Palestinians have been killed, the majority of them women and children. More than 80% of Gaza's 2.3 million residents have also been displaced. The Asian Development Bank is urging Pacific governments to improve the process through which they fund their operations, which they say is instrumental for economic recovery and resilience. The latest issue of the bank's Pacific Economic Monitor forecasts growth for the region this year to be 3.5% and 2.3% for 2024. Tourism and infrastructure development are expected to be the main drivers of growth. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with lead author of the report, Kara Tineo, and began by asking her to explain the key recommendation called domestic resource mobilisation. Well, domestic resource mobilization is the process through which uh, governments raise resources to fund their operations. So um, that would include, of course, uh, providing infrastructure and delivering public services to to the population. So uh, it is quite important in that public services are necessary to uh, ensure healthcare education for its people to you know help develop the workforce invest in human capital and then infrastructure of course facilitates connectivity and you know access to to markets to to business opportunities and and such so um that basically is how the theme of of this issue feeds into the the bigger growth picture in the pacific have there been much change in the outlook for the region um, a tiny bit, I suppose. Uh, we adjusted our forecasts. We review them quarterly. So um, our latest forecast is uh, growth would be 3.5% this year. Um, that's, I think, up from 3.3% in, in our, our last uh, official forecast. And then uh, it's 2.9% next year. It's just a slight revision from, from the previous forecast. But we're still uh, expecting positive growth, so recovery to continue in the Pacific. And the drivers of that growth still the same? Uh, I think we talked about a few of those in the last one. Yeah, yeah, largely. Um, the, the story is still the same. So tourism is continuing to drive uh, uh, growth in many of many of our tourism-dependent economies in, in the Pacific. And then in the smaller economies, they're benefiting from the resumption of uh, public investment projects, so construction largely that generate a lot of uh, jobs and incomes in, in, these, in these countries. How much of an impact, we're talking about shocks in terms of impacts from the global conflicts that we're, we're seeing um, with um, Israel-Gaza, obviously Ukraine we've talked about previously, but I think the Israel... Um, Gaza conflict hadn't actually started uh, yeah, that, last time. So, new, what? Yeah. yeah, what? What's that impact been? The impact would we're expecting it to largely be, you know, through I guess commodity prices, uh, similar to the effects of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. We're waiting. We're monitoring the situation, of course, uh, particularly for oil prices because. Given that this uh, Gaza situation is somewhere in the Middle East as well, it could affect availability, could affect supply on top of, of course, uh, other 
movements in supply dynamics of of the global oil market. So, you know, I think besides fuel, we'll have to see it, given that, of course, uh, fuel prices affect transport costs, which would affect import costs. And given that many of our uh, economies are greatly dependent on imports for many things, you know, there is a possibility that any adverse developments in global oil prices could affect uh, the economy directly and as well as indirectly through these these transport costs. And uh, finally, apart from that main key recommendation, um, uh, were there others in this report as well? Well, uh, domestic resource mobilization, it covers a lot of things. So besides implementing new taxes or raising tax rates, which, you know, is a very sensitive topic and something that governments definitely have to put a lot of thought into before implementing things like that. Um, it also covers more, uh, you know, administrative capacity related things uh, to help make operations more efficient so that taxes can be collected more efficiently at lower costs to taxpayers and, you know, with less room for error. So that's another way through which uh, domestic resource mobilization can be implemented. Um, that's also one one area that, that many governments in the Pacific are, are also working on. You know, having your your a, a sound system in place lays a good foundation for further tax reforms uh, that would be more centered on generating additional revenue. The Cook Islands and Fiji team were part of the mix at the New Zealand Secondary School Athletics Championships in Christchurch on Sunday. It marked the 50th anniversary for the competition and brought in over 1,000 athletes from 200 schools. Caleb Fotheringham went down to the event and spoke with the Fiji group. It was 10 degrees raining and windy on Sunday at Christchurch's Napuna Wai Sports Hub, a very different environment to what athletes from Laudala Athletics Club in Suva are used to. Club president and coach David Merrick says the event was a platform for the children to prepare for Fiji secondary school competition, Coca-Cola Games. We understood that New Zealand have some very good athletes that we can uh, set the base for our athletes to build on and see where they stand amongst New Zealand athletes and build from there. Mr Merrick says it was a new experience adjusting to the cold, but most of the 10 athletes still reached the semi-finals. They're enjoying it. It's a new environment for them, experiencing new things, getting involved in a higher level of competition outside of Fiji. So far, it's a um, quite a big learning experience for them. The club secured a visiting gold medal in junior javelin and bronze in the 4x100 senior girls relay race. Prior to the finals, one of the runners, Cloudy David, says the team had been improving in the lead-up to the competition. That was unexpected. We just went in just for fun, just to enjoy the competition, and we just happened to make it to the finals, so that's something for us. New Zealand Secondary Schools Athletics Association President Tony Rogers says the event has a history of including international teams. It's all-inclusive for those visitors from overseas, and particularly around the Pacific. We often get quite a few athletes coming from the Cook Islands or from Fiji in years gone by, but I think this is the first time we've had those visitors since pre-COVID. Mr Rogers says overseas participants are always welcome. Young athletes always enjoy the opportunity to compete against people from other countries, that's for sure. The event also meant the Fiji team had a chance to experience Christchurch. For many, it was their first time out of the country. 
The girls and the 4x100 team can recall a few of their favourite downtime activities. Shopping, Shopping. Yeah, going Safety. to the beach, the food, yeah, the food park, <laughs> the park. The arcades. Coach Merrick said everyone has enjoyed their time and is already looking ahead to the next championship. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can also head over to rnzi.com slash programs to listen back. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, tofa soifua.